The following is a presentation of Tomorrow's World. Virtually every professing Christian knows something about baptism. And if you're born into a Christian denomination, you may very well have been baptized as an infant, meaning that your parents brought you before a priest or minister who pronounced some words over you and sprinkled water on your head. Or you may have gone through a baptism service where you were totally immersed in water while a teenager or as an adult. Non-Christians may see this as strange, meaningless ritual, but is it? What is the meaning of baptism? Does it have anything to do with you and your salvation, whatever salvation is? And if you were baptized in the past, was it the way the Bible instructs? Are there any requirements on your part? And if so, what are they? Did you meet those requirements? And if not, is your baptism recognized by God? These are serious questions. Among professing Christians, practices vary widely from hand washing to sprinkling water on infants to total immersion for adults. Some even ignore the doctrine of baptism entirely. Why are there such differences? After all, don't we all derive our practices from the same source? Is the Bible that confusing? What does it actually tell us about baptism? These are not trivial questions. You need to know the answers, so stay tuned. A warm welcome to all of you from Tomorrow's World, from all of us here in the Living Church of God, the sponsor of this program. And I especially welcome those of you who are joining us for the very first time. Both Christians and Jews practice water purification rites in one form or another. Protestants, depending on which denomination, practice both infant and adult baptism. And Roman Catholicism, infants are baptized. On today's program, I'm going to show you from the pages of the Bible whether baptism is important and what it symbolizes. I'll also show you the one and only biblically sanctioned way to be baptized, who it is that should be baptized, and what the requirements are for the individual seeking baptism. Let's begin by asking the question, is baptism important? Or to put it another way, do you need to be baptized? Why is it that some churches view water baptism as important while others don't? Tragically, far too many ministers and churches do not look to the Bible as the authority for their practices. Now, such a statement may sound outrageous, but don't take my word for it. Look into it yourself and you'll find that tradition trumps scripture in many large denominations. Some are honest and truthful, but others claim the Bible is their guide when in reality it's not. But consider this, if God doesn't exist, what difference does any of this make? But if He does exist, and if the Bible is truly expression of His mind, 
then wouldn't it make sense to see what it actually says? Does the Bible, specifically the New Testament, command water baptism? There's nothing complicated about this question. Either it's yes or no. So which is it? In 1 John, the second chapter, verse 6, it tells us the following. He who says he abides in him, that is in Jesus Christ, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So how did Jesus walk? In other words, what example did he set for us? This is one of the easiest questions to answer. Here it is in Matthew, the third chapter, beginning in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. He did it as an example for us. Why then would anyone claiming to follow him think it's unimportant? Now here's something people read right over. Not only was Jesus baptized, but Jesus was responsible for baptizing more people than John. And John was known as the Baptist because his main work seemed to be that of baptizing. This little known fact is found in John the fourth chapter, verses one through three. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Baptism was important to the one who gave his name to Christianity. How could we conclude anything else? Now, here's further proof. And after his death and resurrection from the dead, Jesus instructed his apostles to baptize new converts. Matthew 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. A few weeks after receiving this commission, the apostle Peter confronted an audience made up in part of people who had participated in bringing about the brutal crucifixion of Jesus. His sermon was a powerful one in which he convicted them of unjustly killing the prophesied Messiah, just as the Old Testament scriptures predicted they would. Those who heard Peter were deeply disturbed and asked an important question, Acts 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And what was Peter's answer? Did he tell them to simply give their hearts to the Lord? No, he didn't. Notice the next verse. Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Some people think the Apostle Paul did away with baptism, but what are the facts? We'll answer that question momentarily. But a short program such as this does not allow me time to cover in detail every aspect regarding baptism. However, our publication, Christian Baptism, does cover the subject in far greater detail. And my friends, this subject is important. Isn't it time you checked into this for yourself? All you need to do is pick up the phone or go to our website to get your free copy of Christian Baptism. 
Find out for yourself what God expects of you. And I'll be right back to show you what the Apostle Paul and others taught about this subject. Today's offer is yours absolutely free, no cost, no obligation. Call now, 1-800-236-0531. Or write to us at the address on your screen, or visit us online at tomorrowsworld.org. With this offer, you will also receive your free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine, full of timely articles and unique insights on today's important issues. And be sure to go to tomorrowsworld.org forward slash digital. Have a digital subscription sent right to your email inbox faster than postal mail. Visit us online now. We read in the Bible of a man named Saul who was taught by one of the greatest instructors of Judaism of the day. Saul was very zealous and became a great persecutor of Christians. But one day he was struck down supernaturally while on his way to Damascus to arrest followers of Jesus Christ. He was blinded by an intensely bright light and heard a voice from heaven. After three days without sight, a man named Ananias came to him. Here's what took place when these two men met. Acts 9, verses 17 and 18. And Ananias entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Yes, he was baptized. Saul's name was later changed to Paul, and anyone familiar with the Bible knows him as the Apostle Paul, one of the most significant biblical personages. He went on to write 14 letters that make up a major portion of the New Testament. The truth of the matter is that anyone who reads the New Testament Scriptures with an open and objective mind can only conclude that baptism is important and necessary. Jesus was baptized. He was responsible through His disciples for baptizing more than John. Jesus instructed His apostles to go forth and baptize individuals who responded to the gospel message. The apostle Paul was baptized. When asked what to do to have their sins forgiven, Peter commanded baptism. The history of the first century church shows over and over again the importance of this simple ceremony that has deep and profound meaning. We must conclude, based on the evidence of the New Testament, that baptism is important. But why? Why is baptism important? Let's now look at our second point, the symbolism of baptism. Baptism is hardly a meaningless ceremony. Some years after the Apostle Paul was baptized, this former persecutor had become the persecuted. In defending himself, he rehearsed his own experience, and in Acts 22, verse 16, we read what he was instructed to do. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. 
Water is used in everyday life to clean dirt, sweat, and odor from our bodies. But baptism is not intended to clean our bodies physically. Instead, it pictures the cleansing of our hearts and minds from our sins, a spiritual cleansing. But is this the complete explanation? Paul gives us the fullest meaning of baptism in his letter to the Christians in Rome. It's important at this point to define sin. Now, I still remember growing up attending Sunday school classes and what we called Protestant Youth Fellowship. On more than one occasion, the question, what is sin, came up. We all gave our ideas and patted ourselves on the back for our great wisdom. But sadly, in all the years I attended these activities, as well as regular church services, no one ever gave the biblical definition of sin. Not my friends, not my instructors, and not the ministers. How shocking. It's shocking because the Bible actually defines sin for us. Now, what about you? Can you turn in your Bible and read that definition? The subject of baptism should not be minimized, and there are many questions that I don't have time to cover in such a short program. That's why we're offering on our program today our publication, Christian Baptism. If you've not been baptized, isn't it worth finding out whether you need to? And are you sure your baptism was valid? Does God recognize infant baptism? Are there requirements that must be met prior to baptism? Christian baptism answers these and many more vital questions. And this booklet is yours, free for the asking. All you have to do is pick up the phone or go to our website to receive your free copy. Now, I'll be back in 30 seconds to give you the biblical definition of sin. Today's offer is yours absolutely free, no cost, no obligation. Visit us online at tomorrowsworld.org. Find us on Facebook, watch us on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter. As we read a couple minutes ago, baptism pictures the washing away of our sins. But how few know the biblical definition of sin? And that's the only definition that counts. What I think, what you think, what some scholar thinks doesn't matter. The only definition that matters is the biblical definition. So here it is in 1 John 3, 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Why is this fact so important? Sadly, many people have been taught and believe that the law has been done away. Or put another way, we can transgress the law because we are under grace. That's what they believe, and they're sticking with it. But do they consider what that means? Think about it. If you do away with the law, the result is you do away with sin because the Bible defines sin as the transgression of the law. Now, if you do away with sin, there's no need to repent, and therefore, no need of a Savior. But for a host of reasons, we know that is not right. Paul discussed the problem of sin in Romans 6. He explained that we are all guilty of breaking God's law, and the penalty is death. No amount of future law-keeping will remove that penalty. 
no matter how perfectly you keep it, one transgression brings a death penalty. He then explained that through Christ's sacrifice, we can be forgiven our past sins. But he knew some would twist his words to mean something he was not saying. Notice his question in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin, that is, continue transgressing God's law, that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Now what follows is an explanation of what it means to be dead to sin, and that is where baptism comes in. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Baptism pictures a death, burial, and resurrection service. We must repent of our sins and figuratively put to death the person we once were and come up from the water to a new life of obedience to God. Paul continues in verse 5, For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Baptism invalidates the erroneous idea that Christ came to do away with the law. The convert must convert. He must repent and change by putting to death his old sinful way of doing things. Paul understood this and explained to the Galatians in chapter 2 and verse 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. So far we have seen that baptism is important. And we've learned that baptism pictures the death of our former self. Now let's look at the proper method for baptism. Today we see sprinkling and immersion as the main modes of baptism. But what does the Bible tell us? Is sprinkling found anywhere in its pages? It's important to remember the meaning of baptism. When someone dies, we don't stand him up against a tree and sprinkle dirt on him. We put him in the ground and bury him. Baptism pictures a watery grave, and this requires enough water to totally submerge the individual. That is why John the Baptist was baptizing along the Jordan River. We read in John 3 and verse 23, Now John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. One famous baptism was that of the Ethiopian eunuch. Here was a man that Philip, the newly ordained deacon, encountered. This man's humility sets a wonderful example for all of us. He was teachable, unlike so many in today's world and he recognized his own limitations. As he was reading the scroll of Isaiah, Philip approached the chariot in which he was sitting 
and ask this simple question. Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. That's found in Acts 8, verses 30 and 31. Philip went on to explain that the eunuch was reading a prophecy of Jesus Christ. We aren't told the entire conversation, but at a certain point we see that the eunuch had come to a point of conviction. Here it is beginning in verse 36. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. They both went down into the water and came up out of the water. It is evident this man was fully immersed. We often hear people say that there's nothing we need to do other than say the sinner's prayer. But this does not square with the Bible. Has it all been done for you? Or does a Savior require something of you? Now this is no trivial question. Baptism is important. Knowing what it means is important. How it is done is important. And what God requires of you is important. To aid you in your search for what the Bible says about this important subject, we're offering you our publication, Christian Baptism. This may be the most important booklet you've ever read. It answers the questions I've posed today in greater detail than I have time on this short program. You need this information, so pick up the phone, go to our website, or write for your free copy of Christian Baptism. You'll be glad you did. It's yours free for the asking. Now stick around. I'll be right back to discuss what the Bible says that God requires of you. Today's offer is yours absolutely free. No cost, no obligation. Call now. 1-800-236-0531 or write to us at the address on your screen or visit us online at tomorrowsworld.org. With this offer, you will also receive your free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine, full of timely articles and unique insights on today's important issues. And be sure to go to tomorrowsworld.org forward slash digital. Have a digital subscription sent right to your email inbox faster than postal mail. Visit us online now. Today we're discussing the subject of Christian baptism. And so far we've shown that baptism is important. Baptism symbolizes the death of our former self and that baptism is done by immersion. Finally, we must ask the question, are there requirements for Christian baptism? As we saw during the last section of this program, the Ethiopian eunuch asked, what hinders me from being baptized? And Philip's response was, if you believe with all your heart, you may. But believe what? 
He understood Philip's question in light of their conversation and replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Believing in Jesus Christ, who He was, and what He did for us is essential for true Christian baptism. But many professing Christians believe that is all that we have to confess. Just confess Jesus and love one another. While some or most may be well-meaning, they misunderstand the message of the New Testament. Toward the end of the first century, decades after the crucifixion and long after all the other apostles had died, the Apostle John tells us in the first letter, chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, Now by this we know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him, and does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. Notice this warning from Jesus found in Luke, the sixth chapter, and verse 46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Believing that Jesus is the Christ or Messiah is absolutely essential and is a part of what's required for Christian baptism. But it is clearly not enough. We must also obey Christ, and that means we must turn from one way of life and embrace another. On the day of Pentecost, Peter did not tell people to come just as you are. Instead, he commanded, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus first began His ministry, He also commanded repentance, and then added another requirement. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, that's number one, and believe in the gospel, that's number two. Repent means to turn from our past way of life and go a different direction. We must stop trusting our own way of thinking, and this isn't easy to do. This requires a teachable attitude such as the Ethiopian eunuch had. How often we're told to trust ourselves, but this is bad advice. We're warned in Proverbs, the 14th chapter and verse 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. The prophet Jeremiah understood something that so few understand, that our way of thinking is not sufficient. Instead, we must come to trust God with all our heart and to direct our ways. That's why he wrote, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. O Lord, correct me, but with justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. So God requires believing in Jesus Christ, humbly repenting of your sins, and belief in the true gospel of the kingdom of God. Once again, I invite you to get your copy of our booklet titled Christian Baptism. It covers many of the points I've given you today and so much more. You can call and order a hard copy to be sent to you absolutely free of charge. We'll even pay for the shipping or you can read it online at our website. Do it now before you get busy, and be sure to come back next week at the same time and station to learn more about tomorrow's world 
from Richard Ames, Wallace Smith and I, as well as guest presenter Rod McNair. See you next week, right here. To take advantage of today's free offer or view today's program now or anytime, go to tomorrowsworld.org. Find us on Facebook, watch us on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter. The preceding program is produced by the Living Church of God.